In the name of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I'll bet that almost every one of us can find ourselves so frustrated with something that we said to ourselves, I give up, or something like that. And it could have been something simple like trying to assemble a do-it-yourself piece of furniture or trying to get your computer to sync with your phone. Perhaps some of us have struggled with recurring health issues and reached the point where we just felt like giving up. Whatever the circumstances, they really don't matter. The point is, I think we all know what it's like to grow so tired of a particular challenge that we just don't have the energy to continue working against that challenge. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he addresses the importance of continuing to spread the good news of the saving love of God in the face of any and all difficulties that may confront them. And the portion of that letter that we just heard begins with Paul writing that he shares in the belief of the people of Corinth in accordance with what's in the Holy Scripture, namely Psalm 116, from which Paul quotes the phrase, I believed and so I spoke. Psalm 116 speaks of someone who suffered severe affliction and now praises God for having delivered him from his distress and anguish. Perhaps Paul felt a connection to the writer of that psalm. You see, earlier in the same chapter from Paul's letter, he writes, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So, like the psalmist who spoke because he believed, Paul implores the believers in Corinth to also speak because they have faith that God will raise them all to be with Jesus in God's presence. And his readers speak the good news of God. If they do that, then more people will come to believe. And the outpouring of gratitude will grow, glorifying God all the more. That's the thought, right? So we do not lose heart, Paul writes. Paul concedes that our bodies do decline. But that's of no significance. Because that which resides inside us, what's in our hearts, is refreshed and rejuvenated with each passing day. Life in our earthly bodies, a life that surely encounters suffering, is preparing us for an eternal glory that is far beyond anything we can even imagine. For Paul, what is truly worthy cannot be seen because, as he writes, what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. If we cannot see the eternal, then where is God? Where do we find God? In other words, where does each one of us find that intersection between God and ourselves. Some might find that connection with God in silence or in prayers or when engaging in God's Word and Holy Scripture. You know, Moses 
climbed a mountain to interact with God. But where do we find God? It seems that Paul believes that God resides in our hearts because he warns his readers twice in this chapter not to lose heart. Author and researcher Brene Brown has done some really amazing work in her research on shame and how it affects our lives. She uses the term wholeheartedness to describe a way of engaging with the world from a place of worthiness. And isn't this what God wants for each of us, that we should feel worthy? Dr. Brown offers several guideposts for wholehearted living. She refers to one of those guideposts as uh, creating authenticity. And we can only live as our true selves when we begin to let go of what people think. Speaking God's word, as Paul calls the people of Corinth to do, is not very comfortable for many of us. And I have to believe that has something to do with our concern for what other people think. We might worry that if we mention even the slightest thing regarding our spiritual beliefs, our friend or co-worker or golf buddy might disagree or will think less of us. So we hide the magnificent truth that God offers an eternal glory beyond all measure. And of course, when we hide our most closely held truths about ourselves, we do not allow ourselves to be authentic. And what would that be like? What would it be like to live in full authenticity? Will we not have to worry about showing up for an event in the most current fashion? Or out of love and concern for a friend, could we tell that friend that we're concerned about his or her unhealthy lifestyle? If we could be fully authentic, would we then be able to tell someone who is suffering, even a stranger, that God loves him or her? I wonder what it would be like to live in that way. What would it be like if our children and our grandchildren could let go of what other people think and be their authentic selves? Another one of Dr. Brown's guideposts is uh, cultivating self-compassion. And we do that by letting go of perfectionism. We all know that nobody is perfect. But man, we really want to be perfect, don't we? We try to be perfect. Again, in, in his letter, Paul reminds his readers that our outer nature is wasting away, but what can be seen is temporary. Perfectionism blurs our focus and causes us to lose sight of the truth that what cannot be seen is eternal. For believers, true perfection is only attainable when we leave the earthly tent in which we live and we enter that building made by God, that house that stands eternal in the heavens. What would it be like to let go of perfectionism? How would it feel to leave free, live free from the anxiety of believing that we don't have enough or, or that we haven't worked hard enough? What would it be like to be set free from believing that we are not enough? What would it be like, again, 
for our children and grandchildren if they were to let go of perfectionism and live a life of self-compassion, a life in which they embrace the truth that they are indeed enough. You know, we're assaulted in a seemingly continuous fashion by things that discourage us. And quite often, real resolution is never attained because we look for resurrection, or resolution rather, in the same place from which our discouragement initiated. In things that can be seen, in things that are only temporary. In times of discouragement, we cannot and we really sh must not lose heart. God created you and God created me to live authentically as intended by God to place all of our faith and trust in what is eternal, those heavenly things that cannot be seen. Because everything else, each and everything that can be seen, is temporary. So we must not lose heart. Even though we may be afflicted, we're not crushed. At times we are perplexed, but we cannot allow ourselves to be driven to despair. And while we may even be persecuted, we know, we know that God does not forsake us. In those times when we've been struck down through God's eternal love, our faith assures us that we are not destroyed. Do not lose heart. While this temporary world in which we live presents us with deep and serious challenges, God has made each one of us to be enough. You are enough. I am enough. Say it with me. I am enough. One more time. I am enough. That's right. And through God's immeasurable love and unending mercy, you certainly are enough. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.